Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is Steve Yamada. And I am T. Cole Newton. And you're here listening to another round with Steve and Cole. We are here pre-recorded, as my uh, faithful co-host likes to say, at his bar, 12 Mile Limit. Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, an aspect of the industry that I think our typical patrons aren't really aware of. Um, I think this is something that kind of occurs in uh, a lot of different industries, whether you're a doctor or... I know lawyers, tech industry especially as well too, but uh, definitely those fringe benefits. Um, definitely the uh, things that you uh, gain access to the longer you're in this industry and the more prominent you become in this industry. Um, what's your take on that, Cole? Yeah, I sometimes I feel like there's a level of of perk that we get specifically as bartenders, and I don't see it represented as much in other fields, except for perhaps. Uh, and I think that there's a direct line you can put with us sort of also being drug pushers to a certain extent, is that I see it mirrored with doctors being courted by pharmaceutical companies, yeah. where specifically liquor, liquor companies, uh, distilleries, and distributors will lavish bartenders of a certain renown and bar owners uh, to a certain extent. There's a, there's a little bit of a legal gray area there. But with with travel and parties in in the city that I don't see that happening for servers. I don't see that happening for cooks within our industry. I don't see that happening as much even with uh, with lawyers or with carpenters or maybe they can get to go to a conference but usually that'll be paid for out of their own pocket or their business will pay for them to go as a professional development opportunity there's no there's no lumber mill that is paying hand over fist to take (laughs) a bunch of carpenters to their to their cabin somewhere to to enjoy a leisurely getaway and enjoy lumber fest yeah there's no lumber (laughs) fest but there are million um it's situation, and we can just well, let's we can go down a list. Let's talk uh, just a bit briefly about opportunities for travel that Steve and I have enjoyed just in the last couple of years that have been paid for at least in part by a liquor company. Steve, you want to you want to talk about your partial list? Sure. Um, I think that um, me and Cole are going to be a little bit. Uh, we're going to intersect here a little bit with uh, a lot of the benefits we've gotten is from being competitive bartendings. For those who are unaware, uh, there's an entire aspect of this industry which is uh, competing in contests. And every contest is going to be sponsored by a specific liquor brand. Uh, the most typical type of contest will be, you know, here is this liquor brand. Here is, like, you know, this, let's say, gin. Uh, make the best cocktail you can have with this gin. Submit it online. And then we'll contact you. And then we will have a finals or a regionals or whatever in a specific city. Uh, so my first access to that was um, I qualified for this old uh, national contest that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it was my second contest of all time. Uh, it was called the Ready... Uh, it wasn't the Ready Steady Shake. It was the Shake It Up. Pardon me. The Shake It Up at the nightclub and bar convention in Las Vegas, hosted by uh, Mr. John Taffer of, uh, of uh, Bar Rescue fame. Um, so uh, it was pretty intimidating. It was, it was interesting because it was the... It was uh, a mark of the time of what uh, the National United States Bartender Guild thought competition still needed to be like, um, and we've I've definitely seen in the last couple of years the departure from that. It was an IBA competition. Uh, they had a, a panel of almost 15 judges up there. Uh, we were on an elevated stage. There was a huge crowd that was there. It was it was pretty rough, and especially it was my second competition, and uh, uh, I remember being psyched out a lot by uh, the other competitors uh, because I was u- making a 
uh, Ciroc coconut cocktail. Um, and I actually made it to the top five, but uh, in between the uh, preliminary rounds and the final rounds, uh, also one of the benefits of, of these things, free travel, free access to this bar show, also uh, unlimited booze to drink at this place, which is the most basic benefit. Like we just have access to you know free alcohol all the time, which is <laughs> is a detriment and hazard within this industry. Yeah, uh, that, that's a perk and a peril. Absolutely. Um, but I was feeling pretty bad, so I, I went out and drank a lot, and then they announced me for the finals, and I did not do so well in the finals. <laughs> but you know, so so it is. But uh, they paid for. I got reimbursed for my hotel. I got reimbursed for uh, travel out to Las Vegas, and. Uh, uh, I got a one of those giant novelty checks uh, for uh, $8,000 as I've well, too. I've still never gotten a giant novelty check. I, I, well, the worst part was um, I was flying some airline with no uh, carry-on. And even if there was uh, there were no uh, checked baggage or there's a big check baggage fee, and even with checked baggage, like, how the heck was I going to check a giant novelty check? Right? <laughs> so I had to leave it at my hotel. Was, Could you, you couldn't, I guess it would have been exorbitant to ship it to yourself, probably. Too. Like, like it, just, it made no sense. Just get a point. giant and envelope and put it like, yeah. put one giant stamp on it i also found myself at the time and i was like in between jobs and i didn't have a lot of money so i'm in las vegas and uh i i blew through all my money with dinner and gambling with a couple people we went to like a couple clubs and i my my bank account balance was like nothing i had just barely enough money to make it to pay for the cab ride to the airport the next day <laughs> so like i was just balancing things like can i take this can i do this it's like what can i eat on the way home but i had like an eight thousand dollar fake check that was like mm. will somebody cash this for me here in vegas <laughs> like if there's any city there that would happen yeah uh yeah some of some of my some of my travel has been as the result of doing well in cocktail competitions i think the most the farthest afield I've been able to go. Uh, there was one year where I went to France twice uh, <laughs> in the same year because of doing well in cocktail competitions. The first one was at the end, I think it was at the end of 2013, might have been at the end of 2014. There's a, a regional uh, sort of seasonal drinks expo put on by the same people who produce Tales of the Cocktails called Tales of the Toddy. And I won crowd favorite. And it was actually the second year in a row that I'd won crowd favorite. And usually the prize for these things, there's no, it's it's... It's a it's a plaque or some sort of trophy. Uh, both times I won some sort of an ornamental piece of glass that had tails the toddy that year on it. Um, but the the importer of this product was a friend of mine, so he called the distiller and said, "Hey, Florent." The distillery was in in, in uh, near Pontellier in France, and he said, "Hey, Florent, call one with uh, with our product." And Florent was just said, "Oh, great." Let's bring him to the distillery, and it was this was not like if anyone else had won, they would not have gotten that prize. But I, but I got it, and so good for me. It's it's always a plaque. It's just a plaque. It's a plaque. Yeah, don't, don't if you win tales of the Dottie, will probably not get to go to Pontellier. But which I think I'm that's, overpronouncing. That's a perfect example as well, though. You're talking about like you know, it's just a benefit. Like you were there and you did this, and then you got this opportunity. Yeah, the other one was more. I don't want to say merit-based, but at least it was designed to be a trip. I was also, later that same year, I competed in the Marie Brizard cocktail competition. And the I was selected as one of the two national finalists. The other is my friend Abby Martini of San Francisco. And we were the U.S. representatives. And that was in Bordeaux, France. And that was, that, that was again, later that same year. 
that I uh, and it was just one of those things like man it's just raining trips to France over here <laughs> but is it, but most of the trips that I've gotten haven't been as a result and I, I've, I've done well enough in cocktail like I said some of them have been and that's a great perk and I've started re-entering cocktail contests because I like it when that happens that um, and so I'm kind of coming out of retirement a bit this year mm-hmm. but uh, most of them are just because because I know somebody who works for a brand and there's a distillery that's organizing a trip and they're like, oh, Cole will want to go. And so, I mean, in the same vein, I've been to I've been to Mexico twice in the last two years and I'm going to go again next week, mm-hmm. actually. And, and each time with a different company, I went to Tales on Tour in Mexico City. That was paid for by William Grant and Sons. And I should note that William Grant and Sons has done a lot for me over the years professionally and not limited to this particular trip. But thank you very much for all of your support over the years, William Grant and Sons. Um, (laughs) You you have many delicious products that I wholeheartedly endorse. (laughs) Even if you had never given me a dime. Sponsored by William Grant and Sons. Sons. Uh, My life, sponsored by William Grant and Sons. (laughs) But I mean, that's what we're talking about here, really, is that my life is is subsidized by by William Grant and Sons. So uh, that, that happened... Uh, then, then last year I went to uh, to Oaxaca because I am friends with Star Hodgson, who represents uh, Mezcal El Silencio, and she took uh, me and several other bartenders from New Orleans who, who who sold Mezcal El Silencio to on a trip to Oaxaca, sponsored by the brand. And then this coming week, I'm going to Guadalajara. Where so it's it's been a different part of Mexico every time so neat, yeah. um, but with uh, with I believe Avion Tequila, uh, it would, I'm, I'm I honestly should know, but it's the 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 Pernod Ricard is the is the brand uh, the, the the house Pernod Ricard the the company that is named for two products you've never heard of that owns a million products <laughs> that you have heard of but they're not named for those products. Uh, Pernod was one of the very first. It was the second bottle of alcohol I ever owned. Uh, the very first one was a bottle of Grey Goose that a coworker at a bagel shop I worked at. Uh, she gave me as a high school graduation present because she said she wanted me to be as cool as I wanted to be when I got to college. And the cool, the kid with the alcohol as a freshman in college was going to be the cool kid, especially with a bottle of Grey Goose, I guess. Um, and then the second bottle was a bottle of Pernod because I was a pretentious dickhead. <laughs> and. Uh, part of my language but uh um i i like i was hanging out at this bar that was serving me underage and i remember somebody was sitting next to me he's like oh all i drink is perno and water on a hot day mm. so i started drinking perno and water because i was just like nobody else was doing it and it was high proof and i mean it tasted good i like licorice flavors Perno, for those who, for those who may not know, uh, and Ricard also, they are uh, two different brands of uh, French pastis, mm-hmm. which is essentially all of the things that are in absinthe but without the wormwood, which was the the component deemed to be hallucinogenic and the stuff of uh, that that bad element would enjoy. So that they basically a lot of the same producers that were making. Absinthe and Pernod and Ricard, I believe, both used to make absinthe and now have started making absinthe again 
Uh, but they, for a while, made what, what again became, became known as pastis, which is just absinthe without wormwood, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the licorice flavor that we're talking about. Yeah. So I definitely think in the last couple of years, uh, the travel that's that's that is one component of these experiences. I'm going to use experience because I think that's really the model that a lot of these companies are looking for at this point because they realize they can you know they can take you out to dinner, they could talk to you about the brand, they can bring you swag. That's another big benefit that we get, like you know bar tools, like uh, much. Much better bar tools are coming out, or bags, or T-shirts, or hoodies, and things like that. They're really great. One of my favorite pieces of clothing is a Chinar hoodie that I got from uh, from Compar USA. It's the softest piece of clothing I have. It's awesome, and I love I love Chinar. It's just one of my favorite things in the world. This is artichoke Italian Amaro. Can, uh, would you like to note that uh, you have had some travel experiences that were subsidized by Chinar? Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, uh, oh yeah, I think that kind of that plays into this a little bit, and I'd, I'd like to get to uh, your experience as well, Cole. Um, I, I feel like the development for um, these brand exposures to try and um, you know influence and try and like promote their brands. It's not just let's send you to Oaxaca, let's send you to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which we'll talk about as well now as well but it's also this full experience it's like let's bring you someplace let's uh, let's expose you to how we do things let's introduce you to the culture a little bit which i I find those to be the most successful um um uh presentations as well too when when it's not just like oh here's this stuff watch people work and do your thing but when you actually get to meet people who are passionate about it who uh live in the community and who are influenced by community that's really good as well um, and I, I think that like, you know, five years ago, that wasn't a thing. Like you might've gotten a trip to like, you know, France or wherever, but it's kind of like, okay, go to the distillery, hang out and then do whatever you want to kind of thing. But now it's like very much regimented, like, and the access they give you to some of these things, it's like, um, Bacardi sent me to Mexico is my first time going to Mexico. We went to Mexico city for tales on tour. And, uh, one of the days we went down to, uh, Coyacan because, um, uh, Manny who works with, uh, Cazadores, one of their brands. Uh, he is from Coyacan and he wanted to show us his hometown. So we went to the Frida Kahlo Museum and went to the local mar- local marketplace. And then we just hung out in like, you know, the town square at Coyacan, checked out the cathedral, went around, drank a lot of local mezcal. And then we had the entire patio at a local restaurant there. And we had this huge meal, amazing meal. We had a mariachi band there and just like, just hanging out with like locals and dancing and having a good time. It was, it was amazing. Like that is an experience. I don't think anybody else has like, you know, that's, that's one of those things that like any other industry besides like this industry right now, that's, that's something that a lot of us have access to. It's very rare. Is, is there an element where do you ever feel like you're being bought? And if so, is there anything inherently wrong with that? I mean, part of me, I get these wine and dine type of experiences, and there's an element of it where sometimes, you know, there are a bunch of people, you know, drunkenly groping each other in a pool somewhere while other bartenders actively pour liquor down the throats of people who are visibly clearly intoxicated. And I think maybe this isn't something that should be happening just in a in a specific sense but that has that's not necessarily the fault of the brand that's just what people do given unlimited access to alcohol in a pool you know that's not necessarily the that's not by design i guess but is there something inherently crooked not i mean that's that's a loaded term but is there anything wrong with it is there anything unethical about it there's an element that I'm not sure what it is because I, I I will take these perks. I will freely admit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't have a 
ton. I own a bar, but it's a very needy baby of a bar. So a lot of my money goes back into the bar. And I don't have a ton of money for travel these days, but I still get to travel more than most because of this. And somehow I, I, I feel a little guilty about it. And am, am I right for feeling guilty? Am I, is there something wrong with it? Or, or, or should I just shut up and enjoy the perks? Um, that's, that's the interesting question, right? I mean, I think, uh, the uh, term that's been circular, circulating around, uh, the internet recently has been sellout. And I, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like I, I'm like, what is it about being a bartender, being a bar owner, being a bar manager where it's like you're selling out? It's like, you know, what, what is the, what, what exactly, what is the commodity that we have that, like, you know, that we're, we're that is, what is the compromise basically that by taking some of these perks is we, we've, 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 you know, given something up, or we've changed in a way, and we've diluted this industry. Um, I, I feel like I haven't reached that point. I think there is a fine line walking with that. I think a lot of the access that I've had, uh, the competitions I compete in, there are brands that typically, you know, I support people people within those brands who I really like. Um, it's a little bit hard to say that like you support an entire company. You know, um, you can see the policies. Um, you know, especially like the way the like liquor companies in the world right now, there's really like five or six giant companies that pretty much own everything. And you can't say like, oh, yeah, I love X company because like there's so many like business dealings going on. So many things that aren't so great. Um, sustainability is a big issue. That's been a word that's come up online recently about like, uh, oh, what's a sustainable brand? And like, you know, uh, Bobby Hugel, a well-known bartender, went on a pretty big rant earlier this week. Uh, talking about how liquor in and of itself is not a sustainable industry with like, you know, glass bottling and transportation costs and everything like that and just the operation of a bar. So like any effort that any brand wants to have as being like, you know, sustainable or representing it as sustainable in the long run, it's never going to be a completely sustainable industry. So there's goods and bads there. Um, I don't know. I really like supporting people within those uh within those companies uh, a lot of the brand ambassadors a lot of the educational representatives and some of these people be, um who i can relate with people who started off as either salesmen um with local distributors who have been positive and supportive of their local communities or also bartenders who this is their way out you know i mean like we all can't bartend forever i mean it's a physically tasking job it's a financially unstable position position and brand work represents a certain amount of stability i don't think it's the crossroads roads that people think it is i don't think everybody i think the as uh the uh idea that everybody becomes a bar owner or becomes a brand rep like i think, I think that's a mentality that a lot of people have it's like when i when i grow up as a bartender i'm going to become this or this i i don't think it's that cut and dry but i do think it is an option that is presented to people who have, uh, you know, put a lot of work and effort into this industry, and I like supporting those people. I really do, and I think that uh, within every company I've come into contact with, there are people like that within there. So I think supporting that isn't, to me, inherently selling out, if you will. For me, I mean, I am I am a bar owner, so I am legally barred from working directly with distributors or or brands in in a lot of ways that other bartenders. That, that that's a path that they can take, which is actually honestly, it's something I didn't realize that I would be closing off a lot of those avenues when I when I bought a bar. I would still have done it, but I I kind of wish I knew. <laughs> um, but there is an element of sort of unspoken quid pro quo that if if I win a contest or with a brand and then have a wildly super awesome excellent experience as a result, I am more likely to sell that brand in turn at my bar. And that 
Again, it's like there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's like I got I can sell anything I want. It's my bar, and if someone's done me a favor, there's no reason for me not to do them a favor. There's nothing inherently. It's not illegal, yeah. you know. I can I carry whatever brands I want for whatever reason I want. Right. Uh, but usually, I gotta say, it's more often it goes the other way. They're not. They're, they won't pick out bars that don't sell their stuff mm-hmm. in order to woo them. They use it as a as a as a carrot sort of. But they they mostly it's they pick out bars that are selling a lot of their stuff and reward them. Right. So they're reinforcing those. It, it, it usually goes that way. It's usually not. Oh, thanks for this. Sometimes with the contest, it's like, oh, that's something. I wouldn't carry, but now I will because also, I mean, one of the reasons they do contest to begin with is that, that you have now developed a cocktail with a specific brand right. and that, you know, if that's a cocktail that you feel strongly about and if it won a contest and you probably should, then that's something that you might feel that you want to put on a menu. And if you didn't carry that brand before, you sure as heck will now. And if it's a menu placement, that's a double whammy because then it's advertising for them on your real estate. Yeah. And there's a lot of value there for, for that. There a value there for a brand. So I think that's that's uh, there's an interesting thing about this is like you know we 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 talk like as authorities in the bar industry, um, and I think a good majority of where we occupy is the craft sector at this point mm-hmm. uh, of the bar industry, which is in and of itself a very small percentage of the industry as a whole as well. And I find it interesting the amount of marketing dollars and the amount of perks that are diverted into that small percentage of the industry. Like I'm not like. There are not bartenders working in clubs on Bourbon Street at the moment who who are being offered trips to Oaxaca for the weekend. Right. And I think the reason why that is is because people perceive craft bartenders as as tastemakers mm-hmm. in a way that you don't – people don't really ask a club bartender for their recommendation. Yeah. But people ask – craft bartenders for their recommendation all the time because we're perceived as being experts in this field. We're, su- we're supposed to know all that there is to know about these spirits. Mm-hmm. So if you get a craft bartender on your side as a brand and that person starts rec- like using your spirit in their cocktail program, putting it in cocktails on the menu, that those are things that can happen for craft bartenders in a way. And what it does is, yes, the craft bars themselves are a fraction of the, the spirit market. That most of the the sales that we do, that not we do, uh, but we, the the sales that happen are in the Dorniacs, for example, which is a grocery store in Metairie, has a very very ample selection of spirits, and a lot of these craft brands that they carry, they're going to sell ten times the volume at Dorniacs or Keefe and Co. or even a Rouse's that we're able to sell at Twelve Mile Limit. But when people see that Twelve Mile Limit for example, or Cure, or Canaan Table, or Latitude 29, when they see that one of these institutions that has respect in the cocktail world using a product, they are more likely in turn to buy that product for their home. So I think that's why the focus is on craft bars and craft bartenders. It's because people, the consumer looks to us to, def- to, to decide what to buy in another context. So there's, there's an extra step of remove there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think another part of that, too, is just being very uh, clear with the relationships that you're forming as well, too. I think uh, uh, earlier in my career, I had an issue where uh, I was being I, – I had a lot of benefits that were thrown my way by a specific company. And then when I had the opportunity to uh, run my own program and I, I opened up this place, uh, I, I came up with a couple deals uh, with, this, with this group, basically, um, to carry – you know some of their brands. Like I definitely wanted to represent their brands because like they had been really good to me. Um, I just uh, 
knew that we weren't going to be able to move what they wanted us to move. And then when I was asked to do something that was did not fit my bar and I said I wasn't going to do it, that relationship completely crumbled down. Um, and I regret that. I really do. Um, but it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like if those boundaries aren't set in place at the very beginning, I think that's the danger of really selling out. Like, you know, when, when the relationship shifts from one side to the other, if it's a give and take where it's like, you know, you are working with somebody who you like to support and they are supporting you um, – as well, then then that's a good thing. So mm-hmm. but I think it can cross over one way or the other, and that's just an experience thing that you have to learn along the way. Sure. Well, we were hinting at it a little bit, and uh, one of the uh, uh, things that um, both me and Cole have had uh, the chance to experience several times, and uh, with uh, a guest who has just joined us, uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself real quickly. Hi, I'm Megan Devine. Excellent. Bartender and, and manager at 12 Mile Limit. Right on. Would you... Uh, I, I should note for uh, for uh, just the complete picture. Well, we'll probably talk a little bit more about your trajectory here, uh, but that Megan, I think, is both our other other than me, the person who has worked here for the most time ever, and also is our longest tenured employee. So both worked here more years than anyone else has worked here, and among our current employees. I guess it would have to be if she's a current employee. But it's both our longest tenured employee, and no one has and no one has put more time behind our bar than other than me than than Megan has. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your arc here at Twelve Mile? Sure. Um, originally, I was hired after I sent Cole a lengthy Facebook message asking <laughs> if I could be a bar back at his bar that he just opened. Um, so I started as a bar back. Well, I was supposed to say, I said no, because she was not 21. I was not 21. <laughs> but then when I turned 21, I got to get the job. I, 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 yeah, I was like, yeah, no, not yet, but. <laughs> mm, exactly. So I mainly got to work with the lovely Anderson Stockdale, who... Um, love you, Anderson. I also love you. I love you too, Anderson. <laughs> we miss you. So I got to work with Anderson, who was always very forthcoming and loved the knowledge and the experience of bartending and like to share that with me. So if I couldn't make a drink, she'd be like, yes, you can just do it. Just do it. Like it'll happen. It'll be fine. Just taste it. It's fine. So she kind of pushed me to go from just bar backing and hiding in the corner, watching glasses to actual, the desire for actually bartending. And then I just kind of moved up the ranks ever since. Yeah, no, that's, that's the long and the short of it. I mean, and honestly, um, I think a lot of bartenders have, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to frame this that doesn't come across as insulting because I mean it as a compliment, ooh, but yeah, set, set so, that fire. Ooh, ooh. yeah, that, um, that there's been an, a bit of an ebb and flow to your, to your status here and that you've been promoted to manager a couple of times and then demoted from manager once or twice, um, because for, for, you know, because a lot of, but a lot of people do that in their bartending career because you know that we're all we're all growing up you know I, I was pretty immature when i when i started bartending i'm 32 i've done that twice this last year <laughs> <laughs> um and so i really i i i For really the record i'm 25 yeah <laughs> there you go um but that that i mean that that i think we've both we've both frustrated each other in a lot of ways over the years. And I think it speaks to both of our, <laughs> I'm patting myself on the back here, I guess, which is a kind of <laughs> shitty thing to do, but that we've both, we've both, we both tested each other's patience a lot, but we've both shown a lot of patience with each other. And I think that right now 
you're like I said, you're a longest tenured employee. It never got to a point where the, it never got to a breaking point. And I think we've been we've been able to manage the ups and downs of a long term professional relationship. I mean, I've never until I owned a bar, I never worked anywhere for more than two years. And the fact you've been here for over four, I think like we've we've got a five five years. That seems just turned five. That's yeah. insane. Thank you. you I don't know that I say that enough, Megan. Thank you. What I know that we've we've, we've we've been through a lot together, and I, but we're true. in a really good place now. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's been growing up with the bar. The bar's been your baby, and then that's my baby. So growing up with the bar has been really fun to see where we started and where we are now, and all the great things we've been able to accomplish in the last five or six years. So cool. I'm, I'm proud of it too. Awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I love working with you guys. Aww. I'm the new guy here. I've been uh, two stints at 12 mile limit. This is my longest stint at 12 mile. <laughs> yes, this, this would be my one year anniversary if I didn't make a giant mistake about one it. of one of my hiring practices is to favor people who repeatedly ask to work here because it <laughs> demonstrates actual interest and not sort of a fleeting thought that they've had. And Steve probably more than anyone else asked to work here for years. Years. years and it just i mean the time like i love you steve but the timing just never worked out no. and so uh until last year and then i think almost out of spite steve decided to work here for like two weeks and then quit i think it was here for a good month or so <laughs> it was like weeks it was a while it was time just, goes by fast it was enough of a hint to make us want you back and then that was i think that was, exactly, I think that was like, your ploy yeah keep him aloof yeah, <laughs> yeah. just let him know what he's been missing all these uh, years all right so to get back on track um so, uh, Megan, uh, you've definitely put in uh, your time as a bartender in this city, and I think you've worked at some really great establishments. You've been at Pals. You've worked uh, at, at uh, Ninja Sushi, I think. Is that the, that's the truth? You worked at Ninja Sushi, which that's true. I'm not not a vaunted bar program, but definitely a Were you restaurant. you a bartender there or server there? Server, and I bartended a little bit. Yeah. So, as much as they would allow me to <laughs> at the time. Definitely a place that is has in the past not been slow and I think definitely gives you like it, it, to me it's it's I like that as my Bubba Gump experience like if you can make it there then you can make, you can it, make anywhere it anywhere kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's like you know you earned your battle scars at a place and then you got to work someplace cool and I then think you my got my battle scars were earned when I worked at the boot which you was worked at the boot? I worked at the boot. I did not know that. <laughs> what did you do with the boot? I was a pizza server and also worked behind the bar during a Mardi Gras because oh. they needed me and it was scary and yeah. terrifying. <laughs> the boot for not everybody <laughs> not familiar with it is it is that college bar that you never want to go into like every single college has that bar that like the carting policy is a little bit loose it's pretty good and at the once boot, you're 21 actually. you absolutely do not want to go there right and it's just it's just very uh, unless your thing is people who are not yet 21 yeah it's a time and place kind of place <laughs> yeah, yeah. wow so that is definitely battle scars there so um <laughs> you you you're you're uh I, I i use this term with abigail and i like it's seasoned bartender at this point. Um, yes. you, you've, you've established your identity and you're very talented and super hardworking. Um, I do think one of the things is, um, uh, as opposed to me and Cole, I don't think you've had access to a lot of those benefits that we were talking about earlier on the show. Mm. Uh, like with a brand coming and being like, oh, hello, Megan Devine. How about we send you to Japan for the weekend so you can see what Habiki Whiskey is about or something like that. Yes. Um, you have had access to one of those things that me and Cole have participated. Camp Runamuck, uh, produced by Lush Life. Um, uh, Lush Life. Lush Life Productions. Productions. I think, is I think the full that's name? one. Lush Life Productions. Uh, why don't you talk about your experiences applying for camp and kind of your expectations for that? Uh, well, I applied. This was my second year to apply. I applied last year and was put on the waiting list. 
And then they let me know that I was accepted. And then unfortunately, it was my best friend's bachelorette weekend. So I was not able to attend, but I gave it another go this year, applied and got in for the fall session. And uh, based on how much both of y'all have talked about camp and how great of an experience it was, I was really looking forward to being able to be around other bartenders and other people that have the same passions and the same daily experiences as I do and to really be able to learn about products that I'm selling and and get a better familiarity with things that I already know and to to find out more. Yeah. Uh, so for those who are unfamiliar what Camp Runamuck is, it's uh, become a bit of an institution at this point, which is amazing going back to it. Uh, I was lucky enough. I think Kimberly Patton Bragg and some other people uh, put in good enough words for me that I got to go to the very first Camp Runamuck. Um, which, <laughs> being the week that it was, and the uh, the the lack of regulations that there were that are now in place that are really helping it uh, standardize a little bit, <laughs> it's pretty amazing that uh, Camp Runamuck survived past that first year. But it was the uh, the dream of uh, Jared Schubert, a uh, resident of Louisville, Kentucky. I can never say that right. It's not Louisville, guys. Louisville, Louisville, you know, something like that. Um, it's a uh, but the idea was to bring bartenders from across the country and around the world to Kentucky to better understand the culture that creates American whiskey and bourbon and rye that comes from Kentucky. Um, Jared's very proud. He's a Kentucky colonel, actually. He just got that certification a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, uh, they had this idea about like, why don't we make it into a summer camp? So like, we'll bring people by. The like, you know, they'll have cabins to sleep in. We'll do you know, uh, 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 fires every single night, campfires and sing-alongs, and we'll have a talent show. I think there was an inspiration from uh, the movie The Wet Hot American Summer that they were like, oh, we wanted to kind of do it this way. Um, so that was uh, uh, it. basically like they worked uh, for years to put this together, and then the application print, uh, process went out, and then people came, and it was special. It really was. I mean, it's just the location worked really well together, and the passion that was put into it turned into an event that has persevered now for, I think, believe this is the sixth year that they will be having people come in. That sounds right. Yeah, this is, this is definitely the sixth year. So um, I, I love it. I think it was, to me, it's... Brands do contribute because brands sponsor all the cabins and the whole event is, takes place because various brands will give money to it. But it's also a third-party production company, event company, really, that produces it. So there's that separation, that mediary between a brand giving you this benefit and everything like that, which is very different. And that's actually kind of happening more in the industry. Um, anyways, so that's, uh, that's kind of just a description of what Camp Runamuck is. But it, they really have done an excellent job, Lush Life Productions broadly. They, they, I think they started with Portland Cocktail Week and then expanded to Camp Runamuck. And then now they have a cane camp, which is in Puerto Rico. And I think they're doing, uh, they're in, they're working on a whiskey camp that will be in either Ireland or Scotland. Hmm. And I will look forward to applying to that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, and the, that they've done a really excellent job of fostering a sense of community among bartenders. And I think that's one of the things that... Like, bartending for a lot of people, maybe not as much in New Orleans. There really is a good community of bartenders in New Orleans. But there's also just a really... It's just the bar culture in New Orleans is highly unique and and sort of both respected in a way, but it's sort of integral to people's way of life in, in a way that it's not in other places. So we always kind of had a bartender community here but I think a lot of people in other markets, bartending can be very isolating. If you work in a restaurant, especially, there'll be a team of a dozen people on the floor and 
half dozen people in the kitchen and maybe one or two bartenders on. And then, and similarly, there'll be a huge staff at the front of the house and there's a huge staff at the back of the house and maybe four bartenders on staff. So even in, in that world, you're, you're in the minority and, you know, you, you keep odd hours and it can be, it can be isolating in a lot of ways. So I think one of the things that Run Amok does is help people realize that they're part of something bigger. That, that bartending has, has meaning, has value, that you can derive a lot of professional satisfaction from making bartending your career, that there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, and bringing those people together to share in those experiences and to feel a part of a greater bartending community is, I think, the greatest success of, of Camp Run Amok. Uh, and I, I, I really, I mean, just from a, from a strictly, I mean, a lot of what we do is, as bar professionals is throw events. I mean, every night we open our doors toward, to, on some level, we're throwing an event and seeing the, the amount of cat herding that they have to do, the amount of logistics, the amount of insurance. I mean, There's got to be so much going on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm actually going back as a counselor this year. I was a camper a couple of years ago. And as much because... I want to be a part of that community building, but for a professional development standpoint, I want to learn how they pull that off because mm. it's just such an epic event at such an epic scale that the like that is that's ten points for difficulty, guys, yeah. and and the and execution. So I want to I want to I want to pick their brains a little bit and yeah. figure out how the how the sausage is made. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a machine up there now, which is really cool. So Megan, uh, first time first time camper, long time mm. listener. Um, <laughs> Tell me what what are you hoping to take away from this experience? And um, after this experience, um, what are the benefits that you would like to get out of of bartending? Like some of these things, that, some of these opportunities. What opportunities do you want to see open up to you? Um, I would like to really get to know some different reps and really just familiarize myself with the different products that I'm selling now and that I haven't even been able to try. Um, I think that I'm really just hoping to find a good camaraderie with other bartenders i think that outside of new orleans it is a little trickier to be a bartender and as someone who i was bar backing for an income while in college i didn't necessarily think that this was going to be an occupation that i was going to fall in love with so for me kind of realizing at um at my fifth year in in a bartending field that uh, that this is something that I want to do for a long time. So to really get my feet wet and really be able to put myself out there in a professional and you know social sense. Mm-hmm. I want to say to any any brand representatives, anybody working at a distillery out there in our listenership, that I no longer make the purchases at Twelve Mile <laughs> Limit. That is work that has been farmed out to our manager Megan here. So if you're interested in bribing somebody or, or creating those quid pro quo situations, she's the one to offer perks to now. Like I've I've had my share. I <laughs> I can afford to go on a vacation every once in a while that yeah. I pay for. Um, I don't pay Megan enough. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you should give her the free stuff these days. Yeah, it was, well, it's, thank you. That was, that was a bit of a weird one as well, too, because there was somebody who was like trying to do a sherry tasting here. They did it yesterday, I think, right? And mm-hmm. they like ran into me at Canaan Tables like, oh, man, I should try you on these sherries to like see if you want to carry any at 12. I was like, one, I'm not Cole. Two, I'm not Megan. So what? <laughs> <laughs> they were delicious sherries. 
Were they good? Yeah, they were really good. We're probably going to pick up their Oloroso, maybe the PX. Too. They should call up Megan and let Megan in. <laughs> Megan make was here when we did the taste I was here. So Megan work was here. You, you bring it in. Also. You guys bring it in. I'll work with it. But it's uh, one of those things, too, where it's like it's it's interesting, I think. Um, and what's great about Run Amok as well, too, is like the first year Run Amok came around, um, it was a lot of well-known bartenders who got to go. And like that's kind of one of the things with the inaugural for a lot of these events and a lot of these perks that happen. Those first times the travel benefits come around, like a brand decides they want to start flying people all over the place they usually will go for like that top tier of bartenders but i think we're starting to see now with the propagation and success of these events like more people are getting those opportunities and especially it's like people who um, hear that megan you're not top tier <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that you're bottom tier either but well, when I you think, say that i'm thinking of the same like five to ten people we're all all thinking of yeah, so yeah right. i totally get that <laughs> exactly. but even like tier. even like new orleans is above many tiers i mean i know people who are from like idaho you know, like people from like Boise, Idaho and from like one of my campers is from Wyoming. Exactly. Like small, really small markets, control states and things like that, who I mean, Charlotte, North Carolina, like as much as, you know, I tried to get away from Charlotte when I was a kid. I, I take a lot of like interest in the fact that like in a control state, there are people working really hard to develop a craft cocktail community there. And people are like hungry to like learn and compete and do great things. And like here in New Orleans, too. And sorry to get on a soapbox here for a second. It's like we take. <laughs> that for granted because we get a lot of opportunities and we get a like we don't get the most amount of money thrown our way but we get a lot of opportunities that other people don't get to get and i really love seeing the fact that you know a lot of these benefits are starting to make it past that umbrella of top tier bartenders and other people are having these chances because it makes this this business so much better you know it enriches people it enhances them it educates them and it just makes them you know better I also want to circle it back. Like we, the people approach Steve to do a tasting at Twelve Mile. I, mean, I think part of that is because he's held management roles more recently, and so people see him in that capacity. They assume he's like, oh, why would he take a job where he's just a bartender? It's like because he doesn't want to be in charge of everything right now. No. I think, <laughs> but also like, I, there's definitely, I mean. There's definitely a, an element, I think, of sexism in play. That Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> we, 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 that's one of our, our pet Indeed. topics here on the show that Steve and I, two cisgender men, like to bring up a lot. Um, but just but bias and representation generally that, that like Megan being a cute young girl and me being you know, a deep voiced man. I mean, Not that deep of a voice. <laughs> excuse me? Well, I mean, it, I experienced that from patrons to delivery drivers to reps to everything like i will have a delivery driver walk past me with the checkbook and give it to another man just in the bar who looks <laughs> puzzled and i'm like hey it's me just, the just one with the checkbook wes, wes is sitting at the bar yeah, with his cider just, just anyone anyone that has a penis will get that 20 women in the bar mm -hmm. you're behind the bar they'll go find the one man and give them yeah. the, give exactly them the Can you but, sign for this order i mean that's I mean, comes with the territory. It's something that I think a lot of women have to face anyways. Got to really take take things and let them roll off your back. You had somebody throw the air quotes around I did. manager last week, yes, right? Like uh, I did. Someone came and said, oh, I, th I heard you're the manager while air quoting manager. I was like, is that a question or a statement? I don't know what that means. Yes, I am. 
goodness. Air quotes. You know, we're, we're talking about all these like fringe benefits or anything like that. How about the benefit we really focus on in some point is not just being this gender biased, sexist industry at this point. You know, it's like there's enough women in this industry who are extremely talented and who are running programs, managing programs, are in charge of ordering and running these businesses. Like, just let's. Let, how about that could be the perk that we focus on? You know? Let's just like start with that. Yeah, and I, I should also, going back to Run Amok, one of the things that I think they focused very heavily on is making sure that there is that equal representation. And I know that the brand itself, or the Lush Life brand, not the, uh, not the brands that they work with, but they, they're, they're, I think, I, would, I don't know, majority, but many of their employees are women. Their founder is a woman. And uh, they, they're, their group is very focused on gender issues in the industry and representation in the industry and i think that's very much one of the reasons that they've been very successful is by creating a balanced program that isn't just the old boys club of bartending that we're trying that we i mean not we as an industry entirely because there's a lot of pushback but i mean we as the people who are trying to make those changes happen i'm I'm really happy to see that they're they're on the the good guy side for lack of a better term definitely some some or one of the bigger reasons besides Steve pushing me to apply uh, why I applied to run amok because it, it seemed like a good opportunity for me in my position in my personal situation to go and be able to learn more about how I can insert myself into areas and not be seen as rude or you know trying to just get into the boys club as you said yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's it's great as well too because half the cabins are are women half the cabins are men so every single cabin has you know really great counselors for all women who you know they're they're all professionals and leaders in the industry the head counselors the founder lindsey johnson i think lucinda weed who lives down here in new orleans is the sheriff of camp this year who is kind I, of the maybe uh, one of the deputies I, I, or is she a sheriff i, I mean she's been a head counselor regular, before. she's a, yeah. she's a she's a fixture so i mean i think when you're coming from a lot of markets and like you know a lot of markets this market included as well too it's like a lot of us crave you know, it's nice to see. It's inspiring, rather, to see you know people that we can relate with as well. Too, it's like if you can see like you know uh, women who are do the same thing you do, who are in this position of power, and like you know, it's in a space where like people will listen to them and treat them in an equal manner. That's something that you know it's not quite in the real world yet. And camp is not the real world, but it's kind of <laughs> something you can aspire to a little bit. I guess mm-hmm. like you know, it's just like okay, we can make it work here. Maybe we can start you know, expanding that out just a little bit. Yeah. Camp's a magical place, guys. I Camp love it. Camp is a magical place. I'm pumped. <laughs> uh, I should also, like, the, that I, I'm very proud of both Megan for having been selected this year, but also our other manager, uh, Sarah Town, was selected for the spring session where I'm, when I'm going to be a counselor. So our entire management team at at least front of the house management team at 12 mile limit will be attending camp this year. And that's, that's pretty cool. That, like, that's, we don't have a huge staff here, like 60% not 60, like 40% of our staff is going to be at run amok. Yep. And I think that's we're we're well represented. And I, I'm a, a, I'm very happy that both of my managers are capable of putting together a cogent application. I mean, both of you are, Sarah's in college and Megan's a college graduate. And I, I do think that, that those academic skills come in handy more often than people think of for bartenders uh so well as a sociology major for sure (laughs) i would say yes if they do come in handy yeah yeah being able to understand i mean sociology is it's it's no joke i mean people joke about it (laughs) it's not supposed to be a joke 
Cool. Um, right on. Well, I think we could wax poetic about camp forever and ever and ever. Um, there's uh, this is this has been a fun episode because uh, we kind of started in one direction and uh, went, went in a different direction, which happens a lot here on Around with Stephen Cole. Like to wrap up with parting shots here as well. Um, let's bring our impromptu guest Megan Devine back to the microphone. Um, what parting shots do you have for us? Yeah, wh- why don't you just tell us uh, what, what shifts you work here at Twelve Mile Limit? When when can people come see you now that they've they've heard your your voice? They want to meet the meet her in the flesh, the the inimitable Megan Devine. When when could they do that? Here at Twelve Mile Limit, um, I'm here on Wednesdays and Fridays with the lovely Steve Yamada and Johnford. And I will also be here on Saturday nights, and you can usually find me here around any time during the day. <laughs> I'm around here a lot. If you wonder why that random girl is wandering around, the random girl is me, and I don't know why I'm wandering around. <laughs> but I know why you're wandering around. You're doing your damn job. <laughs> That's what I pay you to do. <laughs> all right, Cole. Parting shots for you. Let's try and wrap everything together with all the, the bevy of uh, uh, topics that we cover today. Um, how would you how would you kind of pull that all together? The benefits that bartenders get, selling out versus not selling out, uh, camp run amok. I really, I somehow, I, I maybe the reason I feel like there's got to be something wrong with all of the perks that I have been offered is because I'm some level I feel like I haven't done enough to earn them in a way but I maybe I should just count my blessings I I, I live a really great life I, I own a bar in New Orleans which is something a lot of people try their whole life to do I I, I mean I, I own the property that the bar is in I own a house around the corner from that bar where I live with a beautiful wife and I get to travel a lot for free and my life is amazing and I should just I should just deal with it. I should stop feeling guilty about how great my lot is. So, but you know, thank you, universe. I, things are great for me and part of that is that liquor companies like to buy me stuff. So you know what? Cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um Parting shots from me. So uh, I think the conversation about whether or not it's selling out in this industry to pursue benefits that are given to you, um, I think that's an interesting conversation. I think it's a little bit pointless in some ways as well, too. I've been in this industry for 15 years. So you're saying this entire podcast was a waste of everyone's valuable time. No, I think that uh, I definitely think that um, arguing the fact that we should disparage the benefits that are given to us. Um, you know, it is it is a privilege to be able to travel the world. It really is. A lot of people don't have those opportunities. And if you're handed those opportunities, why not embrace them and make the most out of them? You don't have to change who you are intrinsically as a person just by working with somebody. We work with these brands all the time in our bars and everything like that. We agree with them. We disagree with them. Um, bettering yourself is always going to be a good thing. It's going to make you a more holistic person. I've been in this industry for a long enough period of time. Uh, these are benefits that I certainly wasn't getting for the majority of my time working here. So um, if you want to say a uh, hot take on this one real quickly, if you want to say I've earned these things, yes, at this point I think I definitely have put in the time and effort to earn some of these things. But I also think that a lot of these benefits need to be extended to more people to open up those opportunities and open up this industry to a more diverse and more equal group of people. But that's about all I've got, I think. So um, once again, this is Steve Yamada. This is T. Cole Newton, and you've been listening to Around with Stephen Cole. Cheers.